0: So, one of the weirdest I- spiritual experiences of my life uh, was when I was about 16 years old on our annual Army Cadet Summer Camp in the Brecon Beacons. And uh, we were coming to the end of the three-day kind of exercise period where we used to play soldiers for the whole three times, we could get attacked at any moment in the middle of the night, and we always had to lug all of our kit round with us, and we'd sort of go out and do spying on the enemy and things. The fake enemy, they were sort of ex-cadets who'd come back to be shot at and um, the camp always ended the same way, which was with a full-scale dawn attack, crack of dawn at 5 a.m., 20 to 30 army cadets moving into, this kind of, uh, into a position and um, attacking it with um, blank rounds. That sort of made a loud bang, but no one got hurt. Everyone in the army cadets knew that I was a Christian, Uh, mainly because I was the only person who barely ever swore. Um, I'm not perfect, one of my hands got attacked by a nest of red ants that I accidentally laid on. I'm not sure my language was quite as holy as it could have been. But because I was known for being a Christian, our commanding officer on the final kind of day of the camp in that morning, just before the attack, suddenly turned to me as we were all sort of getting ready to move off and said, Gordon, you should pray before battle. I was like, this is odd. We we're about to go and do a fake attack where the worst injuries is someone tripping over a rock or running into a tree when they're not about to sort of, you know, when they're not looking where they're going. How on earth do I pray with any sort of integrity before God for something that's so totally sort of fake and weird? It was really bizarre, and so I sort of tried to scrabble something together. But this psalmist knew exactly what it was like to pray before battle and before a real battle. He knew what it was like to pray before, during, and after a battle. And he wrote this prayer, a prayer of a warrior to combat his fear before going into battle, to renew his confidence in the Lord, and to work through the process of fighting a battle as he had been trained for and as he had done many times before. Many commentators think this psalm was originally a royal psalm used in some sort of ceremonial way, maybe to hail a new king in some way, to know that God was supporting them and upholding them. And certainly it was used before um, battles when God's people were feeling besieged, maybe when they were in exile. And what I love is that it gives a fantastic overview of spiritual warfare. It talks about the before a battle, God training us, God being our fortress where we take refuge when the attack approaches. And then during the battle, where you call on God to be our deliverer, to come down and scatter our enemy before us. And then afterwards, to acknowledge the blessing that comes uh, from God's deliverance, there's the before, the during, and the after. And it's the prayer of someone who was kind of had seen battle, who knew what that was like. And it's cobbled together from all bits of different bits of the Psalms. There's bits of Psalm 18 in here, bits of Psalm 8, and others. That this kind of prayer warrior, or kind of warrior, has has drawn as they think about their experiences of battle, and put into this psalm for us. This was someone who knew the power of God in the battles that they faced, had experienced the Lord's faithfulness and can now write this to kind of exude their confidence in God's ability to be with them in their battles. It's almost like a set piece, a kind of masterclass in showing us how to fight. For the psalmist, this probably was physical battles when God's people were attacked, but for us, it is just as valid and important for the spiritual battles we face in life. So, where does he start? The before. And that's three things for the before. Remember your training, position yourself under God's protection, and appeal humbly and confidently to his grace. Remember your training. Uh, The SAS, the Special Air Service, a kind of elite of the British Army, have a saying that goes train hard, fight easy. Train hard fight easy, and I try to remember that in my own theological training at Vicar School, even though the comparison's probably not too uh, similar between SAS training and Vicar School training, maybe, I was it, no? Okay, so <laughs> but what's behind that phrase of train hard, fight easy is this sense of wanting to prepare so thoroughly that they're ready for any eventuality. Anything that would come up wouldn't surprise them, but actually they've trained time and again to know what's gonna come and they're ready, they're calm and collected for any eventuality. And the psalmist's prayer starts by remembering who has trained him. Praise be to the Lord my rock who trains my hands for for war, my fingers for battle. As the psalmist looks ahead to an incoming battle, to an incoming attack, he remembers his training. And who has trained him? It was God himself, and it's God who's trained us for the battles in life that we face. God is faithful, he knows what we can handle, and he knows the battles that we're gonna be facing. When I first went off to boarding school, my dad gave me a little card, I was about 13, and on the front of this card was written, Dear Lord, thank you that nothing will happen to me today that you and I together can't handle. I love that. Lord, thank you that nothing will happen to me today that you and I together can't handle. And it's an amazing prayer because it recognizes that sense that God doesn't take us uh, to places more than we can handle with him. He knows the battles we're coming up against. He's training us so that we're ready for each one as they come. I love Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in 10, chapter, thir- uh, chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation or no testing has overtaken you or as you've experienced accept that which is common to everyone and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear God knows what we can bear he knows what battles we're able to fight with him and we can trust that he's going to lead us on a step at a time and that the next battle we'll be able to face with him It's funny how many people have said to me, um, nothing prepares you for parenthood. So we've got, uh, coming up to a four-month-old son, Daniel, and uh, so many people have said, "You know, nothing nothing can prepare you for for parenthood. And yet in some ways, and so many ways, God has, thankfully, prepared me in some small part for the, the crying child I now find myself trying to care for. And when he is crying, I find myself calling out to God for his calm and his peace to cover and fill the little man. When something's wrong and we can't figure out what it is, I thank God that he knows exactly what's wrong and can help us as we seek him to figure out what to do. I'm grateful that when I feel inadequate as a parent, when I'm unsure about what course of action to take or decision to make, that he's with me, guiding me, leading me. And I'm grateful that when there's a huge amount of unknowns in front of us for the next however many years that we're parents, that I don't need to worry about all the unknowns, but I can trust that God has got it covered and that he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble for today. Who of us, by worry, can add a single moment to our lives? God has trained me to be a parent in some ways. To, and, and he's, he's, he's trained me to parent a baby and as I go through this stage of parenting a baby hopefully by the time I get half good at that I'll be ready to just about to parent a toddler and then through that a little bit more on later on to a parent a small child. God is taking us each on a journey to face the next battle. He's training us as we go. We've often mentioned uh, these verses, that God trains our hands for battle, our, fingers, uh, or our hands for war, our fingers for battle. As we've uh, prayed together, as we've tried to press into what God might be saying to us prophetically, and trying to learn how to pray in line with that, uh, and listen to that prophetic voice. And I've been in two prayer meetings this week where, we've, where different people have said, we're not unaware of the, of the enemy's schemes um, of us in scripture. You know, there's a sense in which we're growing, we're training, we're learning how to do this, we're progressing. We know the devil's gonna try and come against what God's doing here. We know that he will try and sow doubt and fear into our minds, that he will try and distract us, tempt us, lead us astray from what he's called us to do. And so we remind ourselves to put on the armor of God that we're training and learning how to do in our morning sermons. And we know that in all of these things, God isn't leading us into battle unprepared. He's leading us into battle with training that he's provided for us. And then we have a God who offers us a place of refuge. The last thing you do before battle when there's an impending attack is uh, once you've got your arm and your kit ready is take your position in the refuge. Take your position in the fortress to get ready for the attack to come. You secure the doors, you get the drawbridge up. The psalmist says, he is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me the psalmist having remembered his training then positions himself in total dependence under god's protection god is his fortress his stronghold his deliverer his shield his refuge but this isn't that kind of panicked fleeing from danger that we sometimes experience in life you know this is the training has kicked in the psalmist knows exactly what to do the battle's coming he gets gets ready remembers his training and then gets into position there's a kind of premeditated understanding that this is the right thing to do He's looking to God for his protection and for his strength. Nothing else for protection but God. And this contrasts so much with that kind of worldly attitude, doesn't it? Um, In the military, you check your kit that you're going to use, you check your plan that you've made, you checked all your tactics and everything that you're going to do. You you depend on yourself. And yet for for the psalmist, he's checking on the things that God wants him to do. He's checking on making sure that he knows where God is in this battle, that God is his deliverer. When we're going into a battle, or facing a battle in the workplace, maybe, do we take a little bit of time out, just find a quiet room somewhere to pray? The number of times I nip to the toilet before a, like a confrontation or a meeting, when I, which I was worried about, just to take a few moments to pray, because I knew it was the one place I couldn't be disturbed. Or when we see a battle coming, maybe with family or friends, do we begin strategizing, trying to figure out how can we minimize this conflict, how to get on the right side of the person before we have the conversation? Or Do we pray? When we've had a full-on week, and we're really tired and emotionally drained, do we just seek impulse buys, take away alcohol, endless hours of Netflix to try and recharge our drained emotions, or do we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your refreshing. I need your infilling. God always has to be the main refuge there's always the potential for us to try and make good things, uh, ultimate things. You know, Some of those things I mentioned, they're, they're good things. It's good things to have food with friends and family and to, um, to relax together. But do they take the top spot or is God still there? And then just before the battle really commences, it's almost like there's this moment of calm when the psalmist just refocuses himself before it all kicks off. And he appeals to God's grace. What are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They're like a breath. Their days are a fleeting shadow. Who am I, Lord, that you should care for me? What have I done to deserve your love? There's this amazing prayer in the uh, communion service we sometimes use called the Prayer of Humble Access that I really love. It goes like this. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same God whose nature is always to have mercy. It speaks of the, uh, the woman who approaches Jesus, the Canaanite woman. And uh, she's saying, Lord, would you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, I, ca- I came to God's people, the, Is- the Israelites, the Jews first. We- we'll-, we'll come to Canaan soon. Then, you know, don't worry about it. She says, Lord, please. And he says, you know, it's not right to give the bread of the children to, to, to the dogs. which seems a bit harsh in some ways, but then the, the woman persists and says, yeah, but even the dogs can gather up the crumbs under the table. She has such humility that she comes to Jesus with. And that's when Jesus says, wow, you've got faith. Your daughter is well, as I've healed her. Humility is the gateway to the grace of God. And the psalmist knew that and pinned his life on it the minute before battle kicked off. He knew he couldn't try and pretend that he was deserving of God's protection. And it was very risky to put his hope in anything that he could do or his good conduct for God's protection. But God is gracious. Our best defense, our best appeal is made to the gracious heart of God who loves us because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us before the battles of life when things get really difficult we think they're about to spiral go out of control let's remind ourselves that we don't need to have done anything we don't need to try and do anything to receive God's protection we can come to him because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us So before the battle, remember your training. Position yourselves under his protection and appeal humbly for his grace. So what about during the battle? Pray with authority. Verses five to seven. Part your heavens, Lord, come down, touch the mountains so they smoke, send forth lightning, scatter the enemy, shoot your arrows and rout them, reach down your hand from on high, deliver me, rescue me. We see, he's praying with such authority. Seven of those 10 verbs are imperatives. In other words, do this, do that, orders. Part the heavens, touch the mountains, send forth, shoot your arrows, reach down, deliver, rescue. Incredibly, it's almost as if the psalmist is giving God commands. God, do this, do that. And it would seem incredibly arrogant for anyone to do that unless they were praying exactly in line with what God wanted them to pray. Unless they were praying into things that God himself had already said he was gonna do. In which case, it's not arrogant, it's faith. Faith is speaking and acting like God is telling the truth. It's calling on God to do what he's already said he would do. God had committed to protect his people, to keep a descendant of David on the throne. And so the psalmist is calling on God to do what God had committed to do. And for us, in the New Testament, there's a fantastic passage uh, which also uses some of those imperatives, some of those commands hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, don't lead us into temptation, deliver us from evil. Those are things that we can pray with authority, that same authority and confidence that the psalmist has. But again, it's not something that, these aren't kind of throwaway lines of the psalmist. They're not panics. This is all part of that set piece, that set training of how to fight a battle. And here we see this kind of controlled aggression coming out. So he's saying, I know exactly what we need to do now. We need to pray in this way. We need to have a kind of controlled aggression against the things that are coming against us. His prayer kind of reveals this immense sense of God's power and trusting in that power for his prayers. What would it look like for us to pray those things that he prayed? Part the heavens Lord and come down show yourself Lord reveal yourself would you come and show yourself in my workplace in my office would you show the people that I'm I love my friends in the pub that you're real would you touch the mountains so they smoke take the mountains of our lives the challenges we're facing Lord you have control over them you can touch them they'll start smoking they'll be on fire Send forth your lightning, scatter the enemies. When everything's getting on top of me, when my own sinful desires, the enemy's temptation, the world's noise is getting on top of me, all those things together, scatter them. Show us how those things are empty. Rescue me from on high. Deliver me from the mighty waters. When life is sweeping over me, throwing me around, I can barely catch my breath. Reach down, deliver me. One of the things I love about uh, the Transforming Life uh, teaching series that we've done here a few times is this sense of wanting to encourage us to take authority over the strongholds in our lives. Strongholds like pride or greed or control or insignificance, unforgiveness. And it's often the way that those things begin to rear their heads in battles in life, isn't it? When we're going through a time of change or transition or there's stress or illness, those things suddenly we, we become aware that they're still there but we can begin to exercise that controlled aggression the psalmist had over those strongholds as we pray. Do we care with that, that same feeling the psalmist had, that passion for the things that God cares about? Do we pray with that, kind of comp- that, that sense of, God, I want this. I want you to scatter the enemies. I want you to deliver us as we pray in prayer meetings here and our own lives at home. Music has a way of inspiring that kind of feeling in us, doesn't it, that that encouraging us and inspiring us. And I've always loved those stories of bagpipers kind of going into battle. Uh, I was looking at one as I was preparing this, by a guy called Bill Millen, who was a famous uh, bagpiper on D-Day, who walked onto the beach playing the bagpipes. And uh, none of the Germans shot at him because they thought he'd gone insane. Um, But it was so inspiring for the people he was with they were so geed up by the music of it. And there's something about this being in a psalm, which is so often sung, that actually really encourages us. That as we sing some of these truths, and uh, we're gonna be singing a song afterwards that's got a lot of these things in it, the way that music can take those words and the Spirit can work through the music and the words to make them a deeper reality in our hearts. I think this probably would have been the point, these these few verses in the middle, scatter the enemy, where where the song probably would have got a bit louder. Um, I'm not always one for being really loud, I'm not kind of an overtly loud person, Uh, you may be surprised to hear, but um, I think in this moment, this this would be when everyone was really beginning to go for it. And I don't think it's encouraging us to get carried away. I don't think it's encouraging us to kind of totally lose it and go, go crazy. It's encouraging us to have that deep passion, that deep controlled sense of what's right in the kingdom of God and wanting to pursue it with our whole hearts. Let's pray that we have that deeper and deeper passion for God and that deeper sense of the authority he's given us as we pray. So what about afterwards? After the battle is done, even in the midst of it, he's looking ahead to the aftermath. Verse nine, I will sing to you a new song, my God. On the 10-stringed lyre, I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant. The psalmist knew that God is the one who gives victory. It's not anything of our own tactics or ability, it's the Lord's. And then the psalmist goes on to talk about the blessings that the victory will bring. The blessings of peace and prosperity. He talks about thriving children. Barns filled with every kind of provision. Healthy sheep and oxen to supply food and transport. And no threat from the outside. There's no breaching of walls. There's no distress within in the streets. And there's an acknowledgement that all this blessing is from the Lord. That the aftermath, when they get to the end of it, the blessing comes from him. In, in nearly every war movie I think I've ever seen, uh, there's the moment when they talk about what's going to happen when they get home, what they're going to eat or what they're going to do. And I think it's the same for this psalmist as, as he thinks about the battles that might be coming. He's looking past them to the future. And what an amazing picture it is of heaven for us. We know that the victory, the ultimate victory is coming, the day when every knee bows, every tongue confesses, and when we see Jesus as he is, and when we have that peace for eternity from the battles and wars of life. We know that one day we'll be surrounded by the family of God in heaven, the loved ones who've gone before us. I love those words from Be Thou My Vision, High King of Heaven, when battle is done, grant heaven's joys to me, O bright heaven's son heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be in my vision, O ruler of all. Um, One of my uh, kind of favorite lines about heaven was from a guy called David Watson, um, a kind of vicar, um, uh, kind of 30, 40 years ago, um, who was up in York, and uh, he had liver cancer, and God healed him, and then actually he came back, and eventually he died, but he had this amazing thing to say about heaven. He talked about, Whether he was willing to go whether he was willing to go to heaven but wanting to stay on earth, or wanting to go to heaven, but willing to stay on earth. And there's a real kind of difference, that kind of just that tweaking of the words and the way that Paul talked about, you know, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. No, I'm 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 willing to stay, but I want to go to heaven. And there was something wonderful about that. And I think that's what the psalmist is sort of beginning to show us, you know. He's he's willing to stay and fight the battles of life, but he's wanting to get to heaven. Some of us might have reacted a bit too much against that sense of pie in the sky. You know, heaven's kind of this thing out there and we don't really talk about it very much. And uh, we want to we focus on this life and, and God's blessing and, and the kind of uh, God's involvement in our lives now, in the here and now. And that's great and we need to keep that. But we also need to keep in mind the not yet. We've got the now and the not yet. And there is such hope in the not yet. There is such hope in where we're going and what's going to be happening in heaven and the peace and prosperity that will come after the battles of life. let's not be afraid to sing of heaven to pray for it to strain forward towards it like paul did pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which christ had called him heavenward so before the battle remember your training position yourself under god's or god's protection appeal humbly and confidently to his grace during the battle let's pray with authority with that controlled aggression that the psalmist had towards the things that were coming against god's purposes and let's let the vision of heaven inspire us to keep going when the battle feels hard. How do we put those things into practice? Well, I often uh, have quite powerful and vivid nightmares. Uh, and uh, the next time I wake up at 5 a.m. having dreamt about um, someone dying or thinking I was about to preach without having prepared a single thing, um, I'm gonna get this psalm out and I'm gonna start working through it. I'm gonna start remembering who's trained me. Lord, would you be my refuge? I come to you just because I know you love me, nothing I've done. And Lord, I take authority over these things, the fear that would try and get into my heart. And Lord, I look forward to the day when actually this is all gone. (laughs) And I know that that promise is coming. Let's put the things into practice that he teaches us. So let's pray now as we do that. Father, thank you for this psalm, this song, this prayer. Thank you for the way in which you lead us and train us for the battles of life. Thank you that nothing will happen to us today that you and I together can't handle. And Lord, thank you for your protection, for your refuge, for being our fortress. Thank you that it's all because of your grace. And Lord, would you continue to teach us and train us uh, as a church family how to pray with authority, for the strongholds in our own lives, and Father, for the challenges we face as a church and the the things we want to see of you in our town. Show us how to pray against the things that the enemy would bring, to pray with authority, with a passion. And Lord, would you always keep us uh, kind of half a foot in heaven. Lord, always reminded of the, the amazing promise of eternal life that you have for us when we feel weary. Lord, would that inspire us to keep going? Lord, thank you so much for this and we pray that you would help us to work it in our lives the next time we're facing a battle to pull it out, to work through it and to be reminded of your leading, your guiding, your protecting and your victory. In Jesus' name, amen.